and now Holy Spirit. We pray that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I did overhear someone at the end of the reading say, easier said than done. So we begin with the question, who are you unable to forgive? When I was at school, uh, I had a disagreement with a TA, a teacher's assistant, a grad student who had already taken the class, who was hired then to help the professor with marking and tutorials and things like that. And one of our assignments was to post thoughtful submissions to an online forum once a week and then engage as we saw fit. And the course curriculum stated that we were to be graded on quality, not quantity, of the post. So I posted every week for the 12 weeks of the class, and then at the end I got my grade back an F. The only one I've ever got in my life. Stands for failure. The comments uh, on the grade was that I was given, I would have been given an A for the quality of my submissions, but the TA was actually looking for more like 80 posts, and I'd only posted 12, which was the bare minimum. And the younger me, not yet ordained to the clergy, said, I beg your pardon. Did you just say, I got an A for quality, but an F for quantity on an assignment you're marking for quality, not quantity? This led to a considerable back and forth, uh, numerous emails of escalating levels of intensity. One... I may have stepped over the line, suggesting perhaps we should seek the, the advice of an actual trained, qualified professional teacher who had actually taken a course in evaluation and assessment, such as myself. <laughs> he then called the dean on me, which ended the discussion immediately with me being handed an A for the quality, not the quantity of my work. That, ladies and gentlemen, is vindication. <laughs> but sadly, this is not a story of victory. This is a story of failure. Because even to this day, I still get mad at my TA over the argument we had over a decade ago. There are a few people in my life with whom I've had disagreements who I've tried to forgive, but every time I remember the disagreement, I start rehashing the argument, replaying it, which leads to a very one-sided debate, which I almost always win. And then I realize that I haven't actually forgiven them, have I? And I wonder if I'll ever be able to. But as we talked about last week in part one of our look at the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's not okay. We've moved now to the second half of the Lord's Prayer that focuses on praying for our needs, the shared needs of the body of Christ, the needs of all who follow Jesus. And we've looked at how the third petition, the prayer that God's will would be done, is an acknowledgement that God knows best and a commitment to submit to his will, and therefore to trust his will. The petition that immediately follows, the fourth petition, give us today our daily bread, 
is also an acknowledgement that God knows what is best for us and a commitment to trust him for our provisions. And the petition that immediately follows this, the fifth petition, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, is also an acknowledgement that we all need and are all worthy of forgiveness, including those who have sinned against us. And so the fifth petition is also then a commitment to trust in God's justice. Last week, we heard from Paul's teaching to the church in Rome that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are therefore justified only by his grace as a gift. That no one can claim righteousness based on his or own, her own merit, based on his or her own obedience. Everyone has sinned and falls short of what God requires of us. But God forgives all our sins through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which was completed for us on the cross and is given to us through faith. Last week, we also looked at how the Greek word for forgiveness, aphiemi, means to send away, to dismiss, so that your sins, your debts are forgiven, means that they are gone. But this also means that the guilt of sin that results from our disobedience should also be gone with it. Like so many things, sending our guilt away is easier said than done. And there may be some here today who are harboring guilt. There may be some darkness in your life that you think is so shameful that if anyone found out, they'd never look at you the same again. You may even feel that your sin is so great that you're unforgivable. And you may look around this room at your fellow Christians, at your fellow members of the Open Gate Church, and assume they have it all together. You may feel they're so much better than you. How would they look at you if they knew the real you? Becky and I have worked in Christian settings and Christian organizations for quite some time, and just last week, we were reflecting on how many shocking and sad stories and situations there are, even in these settings. We're talking selfishness, dishonesty, problems with anger management, unresolved division, venomous conflict, addictions, infidelity, abuse, you name it. Christians are not immune. God's word is full of accounts of how, as Isaiah 56.3 shares, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And as our catechism shares, this is the universal human condition. Together with all humankind, each one of us sins daily against God's law in thought, word, and deed, and love neither him nor our neighbor as we should. So if you are carrying a heavy burden of guilt and shame today, I want you to listen very carefully. First off, you are not alone. We're all in the same boat 
together. Secondly, if you turn to Jesus in faith and ask for forgiveness, he gives it. So if you are struggling with guilt, then I want to suggest that you probably can't fix it by searching within yourself or simply coming to terms with what you've done. The best way to get rid of that guilt is by repenting, turn away from sin, turn to Jesus, and come to understand the meaning of grace. That God forgives you no matter what you have done, even though you don't deserve it. Come to understand this and accept it as the gift that it is. Because the Greek word for forgiveness, aphiemi, means to send away, to dismiss. Having your sins forgiven means they're gone. And that means the guilt can go with it as well. It is finished. This means we don't have to revisit, rehash our guilt, our shame, or dwell on it. We don't have to carry the weight of our debts. It has been dismissed. It has been sent away. The ledger of what we owe has been erased, completely washed away by the blood of Jesus. And as we reflected last week, that is the good news that the Bible has to share with us. That is the gospel. However, we also remembered that that is also only the first half of the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. We pray that our Father in heaven would forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And last week we concluded that that doesn't mean that our forgiveness is conditional, that our being forgiven doesn't depend on if we forgive, that the point Jesus is emphasizing isn't when our forgiveness happens, but rather that it does happen, that there is an assumption that it does happen alongside, along with, as a result of, as a response to the forgiveness that we have received. That what Jesus is saying is that our forgiving others does matter. And it matters because it demonstrates that we realize and understand what forgiveness means. And the parable of the unmerciful servant that we heard in our gospel reading last week is a challenging illustration of this. But Jesus takes it even further, as we heard in our gospel reading today from Matthew 5, when he says, You've heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy was a common misinterpretation of the Old Testament at that time. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As always, we see that Jesus doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. It may be easier said than done, but Jesus do, does it. He shows us through his own behavior, his own actions, just to what extent we are to forgive those who have wronged us, those who've hurt us, even our worst enemies, as we read in Luke 23. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we see that Jesus' disciples got this. They lived it, following in Jesus' footsteps, even to the very end. In Acts 7, we read, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As Jesus' disciples, we are all called to do the same. I myself do my best to practice what I preach The last thing I want to do is stand before Jesus and be called a hypocrite in the same way he chastised the religious leaders at his time. I try to practice what I preach, but that doesn't mean I always succeed. In fact, I fail all the time. I am still a sinner. And I share this because as I stand here exhorting the necessity of forgiving others, I know there's a list of people in my life whom I haven't yet forgiven, just as I shared earlier. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't even intentional. I've definitely tried to forgive them. I've definitely said, okay, I forgive them. One, two, three. Did it work? But then as I shared just a few weeks or days or hours or even minutes later, I find myself remembering our disagreement, rehashing the argument, and winning a one-sided debate. But that imaginary victory doesn't do me any good because I'm still left feeling upset all over again. It's a lot easier to ask God for forgiveness than it is to receive it. Likewise, it is a lot easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to grant it to others. What is it that holds us back from saying, I forgive you? What is it that makes it so difficult to mean it? What makes it so much different for us as adults than it is for those kids who just move on, send it away? N.T. Wright suggests, that most of the time it's just us thinking we are too important. That what has happened to us is too important. That our feelings are too important. That we are too important to just allow the wrong that has been done to us to be dismissed, washed away, unresolved without some sort of vindication. I'm not saying that those things are unimportant, that they don't matter. But they're not more important than forgiveness. They're not more important than the forgiveness that has been shown us that we are called, all of us, to pass along. 
But when we place too much importance on those things, when we feel the situation cannot be properly resolved without proper vindication, in other words, without us receiving the justice, the acknowledgement we feel we deserve, in other words, without us receiving our due, in other words, without us receiving the debt that we feel is owed us, when we feel that a situation cannot be properly resolved without us receiving the debt that is owed us, what happens is when we feel someone has wronged us in some way, we react like the unmerciful servant by seeking vengeance, retribution, revenge, vindication, personal justice, even if it means harming others. But as N.T. Wright puts it, that I'm too imported to do thatness shows that we have forgotten or never perhaps learned that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes, is one who has been turned inside out, upside down, turned right side up again, has gone from that place of recognizing their spiritual bankruptcy, that place of recognizing that they need God, that place of recognizing their humility. And so Jesus explains through the Lord's Prayer, through his tagged-on explanation of the Lord's Prayer, through the parable of the unmerciful servant, through the Beatitudes, that forgiveness cannot be a one-way process. That not being able to forgive shows that we do not fully recognize and understand the grace and mercy and forgiveness that God has offered us. And if we aren't able to fully recognize and understand it, how are we able to fully and properly accept it? Jesus states we must be able to give forgiveness in order to be able to receive it. And I'm afraid that means that if, like me, you're sitting there today thinking, I just can't. I have some bad news. Jesus says that's not okay. That you don't have a right to feel that way. Sure, it's natural to feel that way. It's understandable to feel that way. But you don't have a right to because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. As N.T. Wright puts it, every time you forgive someone else, you pass on just a drop of water from the bucketful of forgiveness that God has already given you. But if you are sitting there today thinking about those you haven't forgiven and thinking, I just can't, I do have some good news for you as well. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't tell you to forgive them just to be mean, just to make forgiveness, receiving forgiveness more difficult for us. The good news is that this instruction, this challenge, this wake-up call is for our benefit. It is mercy. I was having a conversation with one of our council members, our secretary, Joy Gillett, about this before we got into this part of the Lord's Prayer. And then we continued our conversation through email. And she was talking about how in her role in clinical psychology, how often it comes up the critical role forgiveness plays in our mental health, in our wellness, in our overall peace of mind. 
so much of the hurt and pain in our lives, the anger, the bitterness, is because there are people in our lives we haven't forgiven. But who is this hurting? Is it them? Who does not forgiving serve? Does it serve them right? If we hold on to this, grudges, this anger, burning inside us, burning a hole in our lives, not the lives of the ones who've hurt us, but our lives, it hurts us, not them. And it can also spill over into our relationships and hurt those around us, those we care about. Forgiving others is not just for their sake. It's for our sake. So ask yourself, am I carrying grudges? Is this something I do too often? If someone, something doesn't go my way, if somebody doesn't do what I want them to or do things the way I want them to, how do I react? Who are you unable to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? And if you are sitting there today thinking, I just can't, there's some more good news. And it's the same news that it was for all those who are carrying unnecessary guilt or shame. You're not alone. We're all in the same boat. We all have people in our lives we need to forgive, in our individual lives and even as a church. This church has been through a lot. And there remains hurt. Talking about the circumstances under which this church was planted. Talking about relationships and experiences with leaders from the past. I'm even talking about more recent tension, conflict, misunderstandings. We, the people of Open Gate Church, have a lot to forgive, to send away, to dismiss. Gone. For our own benefit. It doesn't mean that the pain, that the wounds aren't important. What it means is that forgiving those who have hurt us is not just for their sake. It is for ours. It is for yours. And it doesn't mean you have to try to snap your fingers and make it go away. It's not that easy. As Joy was sharing with me, it's a journey. It is a process. It's not easy nor quick. Although, as she pointed out, Like a muscle, it does get easier the more you exercise it. As N.T. Wright says, the key thing is not that one should therefore swallow all resentment, forgive and forget as though nothing had happened, sweep it under the rug. The key thing is that one should never ever give up making forgiveness and reconciliation one's goal. If confrontation has to happen, as it often does, it must always be with forgiveness in mind, never revenge. So in light of what we have just heard, bearing all this in mind, the question then is, how will you forgive others? And a simple answer that's given to us in our catechism is, we forgive others by extending them the love of Christ. The same love he's shown us, even though we don't deserve it. By choosing 
not to hold against them the hurts that they have inflicted. Whether they apologize, whether they ask for forgiveness or not. Which leads to the final question we need to ask ourselves. Do I trust God? Firstly, do I trust in God's forgiveness of myself? Am I able to rest in peace, rest secure in the blessed assurance that my sins are forgiven, gone? There is no guilt left in me. And second is, do I trust in God's forgiveness and his justice for others? Do I trust God enough enough to let him deal with the sins of others while I have already forgiven them as I have been forgiven? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the incredible gift that you have offered us. The gift of forgiveness for all of us who have sinned, who don't deserve it. We thank you that by your grace, you give it to us. You forgive us no matter what. And we recognize that as your followers, as your disciples, we are called pass along this gift to others, even those we feel may not deserve it, even if it's difficult for us. We know you understand how difficult it is, and so, again I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to work in our hearts, that you would help us to see the people in our lives we need to forgive as you have forgiven us, that you would help us to see the hurt, the pain in our lives that is resulting from our lack of forgiveness. Holy Spirit, would you equip us with the strength, the grace, and the mercy to forgive as we have been forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name.